We're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to focus on verses 1 and 2 this morning. Several weeks ago, I had the privilege to be able to go with our young adults, some of them to be able to go on a missions trip to Portugal. Before I left, the gentleman that we went to work with had contacted me and he said, Tony, could you preach on Friday night of the camp to kind of finish everything up on Thursday night? I'm sorry. And he said, I want you to speak from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. And I said, sure, I love to speak and I know the text is about running and I love to run, which had nothing to do with me speaking, but I said, sure, I would like to do that. But I do like to run. And uh, when I was a kid, I didn't like it as much until I turned 13. I was going into seventh grade, and up until that point, whenever we would pick teams in school, I was one of the last few kids who was picked. And so I know going into seventh grade, I thought, life is going to change. Life will be different. Maybe they'll pick me second to last, and things will be better. Well, we got to uh, seventh grade, and within the very first few weeks of school, it just so happened that we had to do that physical And we were asked to run a mile or two miles or something like that during gym class. And I remember starting off thinking, there is no way that I will enjoy this. I don't want anything to do with this because I know I'm going to be staring at everybody else running away in front of me. And about halfway through, I looked and I noticed that the people who were in front of me were like way in front of me, like halfway around the soccer field. And I thought, yep, that just, that proves it. I ran past the teacher and he said, okay, Tony, you're number one right now. That was lap number one. Everybody else is behind you. And I thought, that's never happened before. I don't know what to do next. I don't know how to handle this. But I looked around, and as I continued, I thought, I'm feeling okay. Everybody's behind me. I actually feel kind of good. But again, I've never done this before. I'm stressing out, trying to figure out what is supposed to happen next. But I kept going. I was able to then even catch up to the people that I thought were in front of me and be able to lap them a little bit. And that kind of started for me a love for running. It continued when I was in high school, and I started to play some organized soccer, continued that into college, and then about a month or two after I graduated from college, I married the most beautiful woman ever given to earth by God. And you can tell her that. Please tell her that. She's actually not here this morning, so if you guys could tell her that. (laughs) But Christine and I got married, and uh, I wanted to spend all the time I could with her, and so I kind of walked away from any running. But a few years ago, my sister Shelly, those of you who know my sister Shelly, maybe you'll understand when I say this. My sister Shelly wants nothing to do with going outside. And as we were growing up, she really didn't like being outdoors. Like when I think back on when did Shelly and I spend time outside, it was walking from the front door to the car and then from the car back to the front door of the house. She called me and she said, Tony, Justin and I are going to run a half marathon up here in Boston. Would you guys be able to come up and watch us run? And after I got over the shock, I thought, well, maybe I'll join them. No, this is their thing. I don't want to fall into place there and kind of ruin it for them. So we drove up there. We met them, and we spent the weekend with them. It was beautiful. It's a wonderful city, a beautiful city. I'd encourage you, if you ever have the chance to go, one of the cleanest big cities that I've ever been to. But I remember we got there after the race started because we had our kids in tow, and we parked, and we walked about a mile, and we thought, we'll probably never see Shelly. And lo and behold, we looked up, and there she was running around the corner, and the look on her face when she saw us made it worth it for us to be able to look and say we were an encouragement to her. She had put in the practice. She was running with a friend. She ran over. She gave us a hug. She kept going, and I thought after that moment, she looks like she's having fun, and if Shelly, who hated to set foot outside, can run, then I think I could start doing it again. So I did. I went and I bought all the stuff that you need and I started following these plans and doing a little bit of reading. I signed it up for races and I ran my first race and I quickly realized I would never be in the front of the pack ever again. And so it was fine. People were passing me, but I had to come to a point where I realized I don't need to be the best. I just need to be able to finish the race. 
Well, this year I signed up for three half marathons. I ran one back in the fall. There's two more, I'm sorry, back in the spring. And one of them that I ran in the, the spring, I didn't really get the chance to prepare like I wanted to. And I just didn't feel ready for it. And going into it, I was a little nervous, but I was excited at the same time. I had never run this course before. It was a race where I was going to run with a good friend named Pastor Art. And I knew that I could beat him. And I was excited that I knew there was somebody I could beat. And so I was excited also because I knew my family would be watching and I thought, this is my chance to impress that beautiful woman, Christina. And when I run past her, no matter how hard I'm breathing, I need to make sure it looks like this is the easiest thing in the world. (laughs) But I got a chance to run that race and unfortunately, like I said, I just, I wasn't feeling good. Um, I had been sick. I had that chest cold that was kind of going around with everybody at the beginning of the year. And as the race was going on, I realized that I was soon going to lose the momentum that I thought I had. And the worst thought ever came into my mind. What if Pastor Art runs past me? (laughs) And so as I continued to run, he didn't, by the way, but we did have the chance to finish and uh, to see each other afterwards. But as I was finishing, it's the last mile, and we turned and we were running into the wind, and I thought to myself, my body is crying out saying, just stop, just be done with this. And my mind is saying, no, you can do it. And I'm looking around, and people are starting to pass me, and I'm thinking to myself, why in the world did I put myself through this? What is the point of even trying to finish? And I had to come to a point in my mind where I realized, Tony, you don't need to pass these people. If Pastor Art passes you, it's no big deal. You need to be excited for him because all you're being asked to do right now is run the race that you've been given, to run with endurance, to finish. If you're not first, it doesn't matter. And that's the point we're going to look at this morning in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I had to come to a point where I stopped comparing myself to other people, where I thought big picture and said my ultimate goal is to finish, to endure. We as Christians, we have an ultimate goal given by God where he says, I want, to li- I want you to live your life with a very intentional purpose. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, he says to you, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whatever we do in our life, it is to be for God's glory. Now, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. This evening, Pastor Travis will talk through some of Hebrews chapter 11. And if you're familiar with that passage, it talks about faith. And it says, here are some examples of people who had faith in God. And here's how they lived out that faith in God. And we get to Hebrews chapter 12. And in chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, we immediately read this. Therefore... Looking back at chapter 11, everything we've said so far, now because of that, therefore, we are, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The point I want to make this morning, the thought I want us to leave with from this passage is simple. I want to phrase it this way. Live your life with a long-term perspective. As you live your life, live your life with a long-term perspective. Here in the text, it says, run with endurance. Live your life with a long-term perspective. There's a metaphor being used here by the author. He's saying, your life, I want to compare it to somebody who's running in a race. And back then, focused around Rome, the people who would read this text would know that races were a big issue back then. And he says, I want you to think of your life in the context of a race. And when you run that race of life, run with endurance, live with a long-term perspective. Interesting things to note. He says, run this race that has been set before you. Do you know who set that race out for you? Who designed your life? 
Who has given your life purpose and chosen where your life is going to go? It's God. The things that we face, we sang about it this morning, looking back, the things that I've dealt with, the things that I've gone through, they have been designed by God for a purpose. To look and say, I might not be on the right road. This is the road God's leading you down. God has given you your life. He has set it before you. The interesting thing, or, or what is kind of frustrating, is that we don't know how long our life will be. We don't know how difficult it will be. It would be wonderful if we could go to Google and we could pull up a map that says, Tony Burgraff's life, ups and downs. I mean, you think about it. When you're a little kid and you have directions about a game you're going to play, don't we usually tell the kids, hey, we're going to run a race and here's the course you have to go around, right? The same is true when you run a race. Any race you sign up for, you could pull up on the computer, here's the route, and you can see where the hills are, where the valleys are, where it's going to be difficult. You can find out where you can stop for water. You can find out where you can stop to use the bathroom. It's all laid out for you. But here we are, this race of life that God gives to us, and he just says, run the race with endurance. Well, what's it going to look like? You'll find out when you get there. But God is the one who has laid it out. And we have this excellent example, looking back to Hebrews chapter 11, of people who have run a race, who have lived a life. An example for us to know how to live for God's glory. But he says to us, run the race that is set before you with endurance. So what does that mean? It doesn't mean we have to finish first. It doesn't mean we have to be the best Christian. It doesn't mean that when people look back 100 years from now at Faith Baptist, they say, you were the model Christian. It says you run the race that God gives you and you do it in a way that when you finished, God is pleased. That you don't fall away and say, God, I'm done. I just don't want to do this anymore. This isn't a sprint. This is a long-term focus. And he says, don't faint. It will be difficult, but don't faint. Run with endurance. You have to train. You have to prepare. I guess if I would give it an example, I'd say it like this. A few years ago, I ran a race with a friend. And usually when you run a race, this one wasn't Pastor Art, by the way. Usually when you run a race, you, uh, you do a lot of training to get ready for the race. And a race training could be anywhere from like 8 weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, 14, 16, whatever it would be. And I remember at the end of this race, I saw a friend of mine that I had found out was running. And I saw him later that day. And when I saw him after that race, he was walking like this. And I walked up to him. I said, hey man, how are you feeling? You know, kind of the good friend like, hey, how are you feeling? And he looked at me, he goes, I just should have, I should have worked harder and gotten ready for this race ahead of time. I should have thought through what I should have done. Then I ran a race with my sister, right? The one who wouldn't go outside, Shelly. She and I had the privilege to run a race together last spring. And I remember about halfway through the race, there was a portion of the race where it was like an out and back. You went out, you wrapped around, you came back this way. Shelly had planned to endure her race. Shelly was running at the time. She was pregnant with one of their children. And she said, there's no way I'm going to make it unless I have food to eat in the middle of this race. She had talked to a friend of hers and said, at mile six and a half, I'm going to run past your house. Can you have a peanut butter sandwich ready for me? <laughs> Shelly and I happened to be running past each other. I had been looking for her on this out and back for about a mile and a half, and I thought to myself, I'm never going to see her. There's no way I'm going to spot her. And all of a sudden, I hear this, hoo hoo Right? And then I'm like, what is this noise? It kind of sounds like somebody's dying. And she was like, Tony! And she's running past me with her hand in the air getting my attention. It happened to be the peanut butter hand. And there's just peanut butter streaming down her arm. And afterwards I said, Shelly, was it worth it? She said, yes. If I hadn't had that in place, I don't know that I could have finished the race. And I said, what about getting all that peanut butter off your hand? She said, that was just a pure mess. A pure mess. 
But looking ahead to say, to run with endurance means I need to prepare. I have a general idea of what my life is going to be like. I know there will be ups and downs. So as a Christian, how do I prepare for the good? How do I prepare for the difficulty? That's what we're going to look at this morning. Because that's the next question I'm naturally led to ask. What do I do? Now think about our race this way, okay? We all have a race. Our lives are different, but we all have the same ultimate goal, right? To glorify God. But again, the course that God has laid out for us, the life that he is giving us to live is going to be different. They're going to differ in ways like this. Some of us, the length of time that God is asking us to run is going to be different. Some of us have been asked to run a long Christian life. Some of us were just at the beginning of our Christian life. We don't know how much longer it's going to last. The ups and downs, the difficulties are going to be different for some of us. The location in which we run, it will be different. Did you know, and I know you do, there are Christians running a race for God in other parts of the world? Yeah. There are some of you here who the race that God has asked you to run is now taking place in Lebanon, even though it took place somewhere else for the last 30 years. But he still has the same ultimate goal. It's still the race he wants you to run. There are times along that race where our pace needs to change. Where we might need to take a step back and say, God, I am pushing too hard for your will to be done. Can you help me just be patient? And to be content where you have me now. And other times where we feel that prodding where we need to pick it up. And God says, I'm showing you what to do. Now get with it. Do it. The race is going to differ between you and me. I can't give you a black and white description of all of us. Here's what we need to do. Step one, two, three, and four. So some of what we talk about, you're going to have to take to your life and apply it to your life. But there are some general principles. The intensity will be different. But God's expectation for us is to run with endurance. And again, he never says, win the race. He just says, run with endurance. So naturally, I'm led to ask myself this question. So how do I live my life with a long-term perspective? If this is what God wants me to do, to ultimately reach the end of my life, to say I have lived to glorify God, how does he want me to do that? I think the text gives us two steps that we can take to be able to know how to live our life with a long-term perspective. The first would be this. If I was going to state it, I would state it this way. Be smart when you run. As you live your life, this race trying to seek to run with endurance, be smart when you run. You look at the text there and it says, lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. You know what? We are going to face obstacles in our life. And there are obstacles that possess the ability to seriously distract us from serving God. God acknowledges that, and he says, lay aside the weight. Lay aside the sin. Some of the obstacles that we will face are outside of our control. But some of them obviously lay aside the weight, lay aside the sin. God's saying to us, some of the obstacles that you will face in your life are within your control, and you need to deal with those obstacles. So he says, lay aside every weight, every excess weight. Back in the early Olympic Games, the men would get together, the ladies would get together, um, and as the athletes were competing, the race was kind of the main focus of those Olympic events. And you would see runners get up who would be wearing heavy robes, and as they stepped up, they would strip off those heavy robes. They would continue to strip down until they were bare, trying to get rid of every excess weight so that they could run faster. Now, thankfully, we aren't having to watch that in our Olympics today. But when you watch the Olympic runners, right, don't they have clothes that are very closely attached to their body? 
They're trying to remove that excess weight. We were watching some of the, uh, the, champ, the world championship games. I don't, all of a sudden I forgot the term. But we were watching a running event the other night, and my mom looked and said, why are these guys wearing shorts that are kind of flapping out, you know, compared to some of the other runners? And I said, that's a great question. It just had to do with the race they were running. But when the men get together to run as fast as they possibly can, do they try to strip away every weight? The ladies try to do the same? Exactly. To be able to run faster. Imagine you showed up at a race and you're like, Pastor Tony, I can't even imagine showing up at a race. Well, just pretend with me, right? Let's pretend you sign up for a race and you show up and you've gotten advice from your friend who's told you how to dress for the race and you stand there at the starting line and you look down the line and you see a pair of combat boots, right? And as you look, you notice that the, the guy has this huge duster or an overcoat. You know, and then you look and you, it's the biggest belt buckle you've ever seen. And you look and the guy's like, you know, I might get tired along the way, so I'm bringing this lunch pail filled with food and this five-gallon container of water. And someone looks at him and says, hey, man, don't you want to put that stuff aside so you can run a better race? No, I'm good. Sometimes we as Christians, we say, I need to cling to this stuff that I feel is so important. And God is saying, you need to shed those things. You need to be willing to let those go. We would look at somebody who prepares to run a fast race, prepares to try to do their best, and decides to carry all this stuff with him and say, why are you doing that? Now, is it true that some people, when they train, they wear extra weight? Or football players, when they train, you ever see those guys running with a parachute hanging behind them? Have you ever seen that in a real game? No. Because they want to make sure that when it comes time to run their race, to compete, they are going to be able to last the entire time, to be able to endure, to be able to do the best that they possibly can so they don't have to step away in the middle and say, I just, I couldn't do it anymore. They want to be able to finish. We are told, lay aside every excess weight. We're also told then to lay aside the sin. This doesn't mean a very specific sin. This is in general. The author is saying, whatever sin it is that's holding you back, lay aside that sin that clings so closely. And again, there are some obstacles that we will face that possess the ability to seriously hinder our run. And unfortunately, we as Christians, sometimes we like our sin too much to give it up. And we say, it's okay. I can still serve God even though I... We fill in the blank. And the author says, no, it's going to be in the way. You need to get rid of it. Imagine you showed up for a race and you look at somebody next to you and their shoes are untied and you say, hey man, you maybe want to tie those shoes. No, it'll be fine. Somebody will step on them and then I'll take care of it. Or you look over and there's a lady running in a wedding gown, which that happens, with a long train hanging back. And you're like, ma'am, don't you think that'd be dangerous? Yeah, I probably will, but I'll be okay. And you would look at that person and be like... But yet we as Christians, we look and say, I'm okay. Yeah, I've got this thing that hinders me. I've got something that in my life I am willing to disobey God to obtain that thing, but I'll be okay. I'll do better than someone has in the past. Now think about it. There are things in our life that can distract us from obeying God. Is it true that friends could distract us from obeying God? Is it true that our hobbies could distract us from obeying God? Could it be that our families get in the way of us obeying God? You may have a great Christian family, but as soon as that family becomes more important to God, that's a sin. Is it true that we could look and say there are media outlets, whether we're reading them or participating in media, in social media, could that distract us from obeying God? Could those things lead us to sin? 
I think about it this way, and, and I've never understood this, okay? People get involved in these discussions on social media, and I've never been one of those people to jump in and give my opinion because I realize my opinion is just the next one, and then there'll be one after that. But sometimes we feel like we need to weigh in and we need to be the one that finally gives the end all to this discussion. And suddenly it escalates in this fight between people and now you're having this bitterness or this hatred or the how could that Christian be so stupid as to think. But on social media, I was trying to, I was trying to help them. Has that become a sin? Has that led us into doing something that God asks us not to do, that he tells us not to do? In alone themselves these things in and alone of themselves may not be wrong but if we allow them to escalate to a point where we say i am willing to disobey god to have this thing instead of obey him then it's wrong it's a sin that we need to lay aside and it might mean that we have to go ask for help our uh, our young marriage class we went through a, a series this past quarter on song of solomon and just last week there was a discussion that with the, the man who was speaking, he said, there may be times in your marriage where communication has broken down and you need to start to involve a third person. Not to prove whether you're right or wrong, but to help you get back on track. Will there be times in our life where we as Christians need to seek for help from someone who's not in our situation to say, what is the weight? What is the sin that I need to lay aside? Because as good as we try to be, as well as we try to go and to think of from our own perspective, to try to be objective about what we're doing, is it still easy for us to fool ourselves into thinking we're doing things right? Yeah. Sometimes we just overlook that sin. Oh, it's an untied shoe? No big deal. I didn't even notice it. I've been fine so far. I'll, I'll be okay the rest of the time. God says through his word, when it comes time to run your life, to face your life, to live with endurance. Lay aside the extra weight. Lay aside what's holding you back. Evaluate your life for sin that could be dominating, could be compelling you to disobey, and cast that away. The Bible says that we need to constantly evaluate and handle those things. And when we realize what's wrong, we need to be smart when we run. We need to cast it aside so we can run with a really long-term, live our life with a long-term perspective. But there's also a second step. Not just to be smart when we run, but the second step, I would say it this way, we need to be focused when we run. We need to be focused. To live our life with a long-term perspective, we need to be focused. The text goes on to say here in verse 2, it says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And it literally says this, as you are running, be looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now, most races that you go to, many of them, they'll have a, what they call a pacer. Someone who is running at a seven-mile pace, an eight-mile pace. I've never really gotten anywhere closer than, I don't know if they have people running at four-mile paces. I've never been that close. Um, Ron, do they have people running at three-minute paces per mile? Okay. So um, there's other people here. They run better than me. They run faster. But there's always a pacer in there. And that pacer is distinguished. Maybe they're wearing a special type of shirt. Or some of them, they will be carrying a board. And when I see they're going to run seven minutes a mile, I think, I can't do that not carrying anything. These people are awesome. They're doing that. And you'll notice that as you run, if you find one of those pacers, there's some people who are step for step right behind them. And every other step, they're looking up to make sure they're close. Right? They also have people who are telling you which way to run your race. 
You know, as you're running, make sure you turn left here. Make sure you turn right here. And usually a race, they have everything marked out because they want people to be able to finish the race. And they want them to be able to endure. Our life is the same way. God says, as you are running, be looking to Jesus. He says this about Jesus, that first word there. He said he is the founder of our faith. Literally, he's the author. He is the one that perfectly obeyed God. First and foremost, of any other human being, he was the one who perfectly obeyed God, who said, I am fully committed to God's will, and I fully appreciate and accept the fact that God's will is best. Jesus did that better than anyone else. And he laid out the foundation. The author saying, this is what genuine faith looks like. You've had great examples up till now. This is the culmination of what it looks like. Because he's not just the founder. He is the perfecter. The finisher might be the way it says it in your text. He's the one who did it perfectly. Not only fully embraced God's will, but said, I'll embrace it no matter what happens. And we can look to him and say, he is the perfect example of one that endured, of one that finished his race in a way that glorified God. God knew that we would need help to live our lives. He didn't just toss us to our own devices and say, you figure it out from now on. But he sent Jesus to be an example for us. Four facts about Jesus, ready? Jesus was 100% human. Yeah, well, he was 100% God, but he was also 100% human, which means Jesus had to learn to walk. Jesus allowed himself to learn how to talk. He allowed himself to figure out this family dynamic and what does that look like, to learn his role in society and how to live for God in his society. He was 100% human. He understood the issues that we face financially, Family, relationships, the temptations that we face. He was 100% human and God said they need an example of someone who can endure as a human being. Not just 100% human, he was 100% perfect. He lived as a human in a perfect way. Facing the same struggles, the same temptations. He faced the desire to disobey his parents, to be angry at his friends. When he was able to accomplish a task, he faced the idea of wanting to be proud, to flaunt that in front of other people. And yet he did it without sin. He remained holy and he ran the best race ever because he was also 100% committed. He was all in. He was 100% human, 100% perfect, 100% committed. He was focused. It's like the text says there, looking to Jesus, the idea of almost putting blinders on your eyes and being focused on him and him alone. Were there times when Jesus did not want to do the will of the Father? Understand what I mean. Was there a time when he struggled through wanting to accomplish God's will? He's in Gethsemane. He says, I don't want to do this. Whether that be the act of giving his life or more more likely, I don't want to be separated from you, God. And what does he say? Not my will, but yours. That's committed. It says here, he gave up the joy that was before him. He's in heaven. He doesn't have to leave. He's in a perfect place. He's enjoying the presence of angels, the glorification that belongs to him. And he says, I'm going to just put that aside. We read about that in Philippians 2. He didn't think himself any better. He made himself lower so he could come to us 100% committed to say, yeah, go ahead. Throw me in the bowl that a cow eats out of. That's where I'll be born. That would be great. And I'll live my life among these people who some of them will like me, some of them will only like me for a little bit, and eventually they're going to shame me, and they're going to reject me, 
And I'm okay with that. In fact, the text says he despised the shame. Almost looked at it and said, it's no big deal. I can deal with it. I've got broad shoulders. And as a human being, he was 100% committed to deal with the physical, the spiritual, the emotional difficulties that we deal with. And he said, that's fine because I want to run a race with endurance to be the example for those that I've been set to. He left heaven. He had a ministry ultimately rejected. He faced shame. He faced death. He was rejected again by one of his closest friends who said, no, I don't believe he came back to life. And still he said, I'll endure it. He goes back to heaven. He said, I did this all for you. It's still the cross, focusing on what he did, on how he came back to life to say, I'm committed. He was a man, 100%, 100% perfect, 100% committed. This is the part I love. He was 100% enough. He is seated at God's right hand, which proves to me that God was okay and glad about what Jesus did. Jesus came for you. We have been born with a lack of, of eternal joy. I guess if I could say it this way, the way the Bible says it, all of us have sinned. We have a sin nature. Remember back where it said the sin that clings so closely to us? Some of the difficulty of us dealing with sin is because literally it clings closely to us. It is a part of us. And that sin nature, according to God's word, deserves to be separated from heaven. And God says, you can't come near me with a sin nature. I am holy. I am perfect. You cannot be here. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death. But God, again, knowing we needed help, not just an example of how to leave, but a sa- live, but a savior of how to, uh, who would save us, he sent Jesus who died on the cross, who rose from the grave, and God said, that right there, what he just did, that is enough to pay the punishment for your sin. And if you will ask me to take away, to forgive you for being a sinner, then I promise that you will live with me forever. Jesus, 100% man, 100% perfect, 100% committed, became 100% enough for you so that you can know for sure that you can live in heaven alongside Jesus in front of God, worshiping him one day. And I would encourage you, if you have never asked God to forgive you of your sins, I'd encourage you to ask yourself, why? What could I be waiting for? Here's the one who loved me, who created me, who sent his son to die for me, is saying, please, I want you to come live with me, but you can't because you're a sinner. But if you ask me, I will forgive you, and you will be part of my family because Jesus was 100% committed. God knew that we would need help. So he sent help. He sent someone to be the founder, the perfecter, who would sit at his right hand. The beautiful thought to me is this. God sent Jesus because he doesn't expect you to run the race on your own. He didn't send Jesus thousands of years ago and then say, you people who are living in 2017, you're on your own. He doesn't expect us to do it on our own. He gives us God himself. Sometimes as a a kid and even growing up, I forget that the Holy Spirit is God himself living with me. God sent that help to be with us. He sent someone to pace us, to show us which path to go. And all we have to do is pay attention and follow him. I have another friend who was running a race a few years ago. And this was a half marathon, 13 miles. And about two miles into the race, this friend heard of another one of their friends who had fallen, who had just gotten tripped up and had fallen and was having difficulty. So my friend turned around, ran an extra mile backwards to find this other friend. 
The two of them now are running at a much slower pace. And usually at a race, as you're running on these roads, they'll eventually open up the roads to traffic again. And they start taking down all the signs. And they usually tell everybody, we'll, we'll run the race, we'll leave out the signs till about this much, you know, this many hours. And then after so many hours, we're going to take stuff down. If you want to finish, we'll be waiting. Just be smart about how you run on sidewalks and streets. Well, my friend and this other person were running slow enough that everything started to be taken down. Still, there's somebody waiting at the end for those who endure. But my friend and this individual are just, they ended up taking a wrong turn. A left when it should have been a right. And for over two hours, kind of winding around, trying to find the way back to where they needed to go. Running at the pace that they were able to, knowing that we are going to endure. We're going to finish this race. Eventually found a sign which pointed in the right direction. Finished that race because they were able to look at the right way, to look at the right thing. Saying, I'm fully committed, and even if I as a Christian get off the path a little bit, I'm going to continue to run, and oh, look, here's what God wants me to do. I found the sign. Now I know where I'm supposed to go. Now I know how to finish. God doesn't expect us to live life on our own. He says, I've given you Jesus. Follow him. It's good for us to look at humans and say, I want to be like that. I want to emulate that part of their character. But if that's where we stop, then we have failed. Then we have suddenly clung to sin to say, I'm making someone else an idol, an example. Ultimately, we should be looking to Jesus, focused on him and him alone, so that as we run, we are able to run with endurance. I guess if I'm going to summarize it this way, I'll state for you again what I want you to remember. Remember that in order to live our life with a long-term perspective, In order to run with endurance, we must be smart when we run and we must be focused when we run. I have had the privilege for over a decade to be working with your children here at this church. And a lot of times when I get to a point like this, when I look at a text, I think, how would I say this to a child so a first grader, a second grader, a third grader would understand? And if I had to boil it down, I'll give you three words to think about this morning. All we're being told to do is to be like Jesus. Be like him in the way that we talk to other people. Looking to Jesus, be like him when it comes to how we share our faith. About how we deal with difficulties. To be like Jesus when it comes to points when we are just struggling. And we say, what should I do? Well, what did Jesus do? One of the best ways we can learn to be like Jesus is by continuing to study who he is. To learn more about him to attend church, to read about him, to be in discussions with other people, to pick up a book that talks about his character, about his lifestyle. We tease Pastor Burgraff on staff that, and he's said it to you before, he's got this Life of Christ Sunday school, and he's going to take longer to cover the life of Christ than it actually is covered in the Bible. But what a great study to look back and say, what was Jesus like? Oh, that's what he was like. So how do I do that with my family? We want to be like Jesus. Before we leave this morning, I want us to take just a few minutes to think through, to allow God, the Holy Spirit who's with us, to maybe convict us, to challenge us, to cause us to think, to say to ourselves, is there something that I need to lay aside, a weight or a sin, or could I be looking better at Jesus? And so I want to pray together that we would do that, that we would commit in our lives to say, I need to be looking to Jesus. I need to be letting go of the sin that clings to be able to be more like him.